everyone, welcome to the first episode of Surface Tension. My name is Sharad. And my name is Grant. This is the podcast where we dive deeper into ideas and notions that we encounter. Today we are talking a little bit about the circular economy of fashion, how we go about thrifting, and the reality of fast fashion. We'll be bringing in a guest today. His name is Josh J. James. He's a fellow thrifter and U of I student and someone that we're both excited to have a conversation with. We hope you enjoy. Josh, if you first want to introduce yourself, tell the audience, for who I'm sure most people listen know you already, but for the people that don't, Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're involved in on campus. Sure. Hi, my name is Joshua J. James. Some people know me as J Cubed because my initials are JJJ. I'm a <laughs> senior studying marketing here at the University of Illinois. Um, and outside of class, I work part-time for the iVenture Accelerator, the university's startup accelerator for top student startups on campus. Um, so I spend... A lot of my time consulting with student entrepreneurs and helping them take their ventures off the ground. In addition to that, I am the founder of the Circular Fashion Expo, the premier fashion event at the university. And in the little spare time that I have, I work on a dating app with some friends. Mm. I love clothes, <laughs> particularly secondhand clothes. And these two gentlemen sitting next to me are very stylish and have Great outfits on. Did you guys get these outfits secondhand? I did. I did. Other than the shoes, yes. Most of it was secondhand. Yep, same here. Okay, love that. Um, me too. Um, everything that I'm wearing is is secondhand, and I'm really interested in um, the nature of, of secondhand fashion and, more broadly, the circular economy for fashion. Mm. So a lot of my time is spent researching circular business models and how to enable secondhand things to move more efficiently across society. So I like to look at both like the specific garment design and how it looks on a, an individual and also from a meta level, how people are transacting this between each other and how to make that more efficient. Right. I think definitely aligned with a lot of the things you just said there. Primarily my interaction, my relationship with clothes is on an aesthetic basis. You know, I think it's, it is the easiest way to stand out within a crowd, within a group. If you dress how you really want to dress, or if you dress differently than other people, really just like non-conforming way to stick out in my opinion. And so like, I think my relationship with clothes really just started around that. I think the way that I used to dress, if you look at pictures, is very different to how I dress now. A lot of the time back then it was very brand heavy and focused on the, I think the monetary resale type value of clothes rather than now it's more focused on maybe the history and how the clothes look on me, proportions and, and things of that nature. Grant, I know you have more of a somewhat utilitarian perspective on clothes. So maybe you could talk about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I think an interesting notion to close is the idea of evolution, like how our styles evolve over time. And it kind of says a lot about ourselves, uh, our values and the things that we tend to look at over time. And I've definitely gone through some of those evolutions myself. Uh, to your point about the utilitarian idea, I think at some point I started to regard uh, clothes, being into clothes as a little bit shallow. Like I was kind of interested in why I was so interested in clothes and wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing so on kind of a shallow level. And one of the more interesting 
or poignant realizations that I had was that you really do look at someone and judge them pretty quickly based on what they look like and kind of how they represent themselves. So it is pretty important to represent yourself well and to carry yourself in a, in a, in a strong way and in a good visual format. So for me, I think clothing is an easy way to facilitate kind of a good first interaction with somebody and having the ability to get a foot in a door where maybe if you were dressed a little bit differently or t- portraying yourself in a way that's not true to yourself or in a way that's not necessarily shows a lot about yourself in a strong way, it might be, uh, it, it can be used as a tool in that format. Right. Definitely. I think also one of the things about clothes nowadays, uh, you've talked a lot about secondhand clothes, is that it's very easy to access cheaper clothing, whether that be through a formal store or through thrifting, Right. And obviously one is better than the other. So we'll definitely be touching on that today. And Josh can talk to that a little bit as well. My first question to you is why thrift? Why buy used? And this is to both of you. Why are we buying used clothes to do this? And I really want to break this down into maybe some kind of things that are, are different to what meets the eye on this topic. I think for me personally, I'll start off, is an appreciation that I've learned for the history and the vintage aspects of clothes. I think it's super interesting to talk about where clothes come from and why certain design aspects were used on clothes. So for instance, something that me and Grant have talked about before is, you know, finding the difference between vintage t-shirts and new t-shirts, right? If you're in a thrift store, the identifier for a vintage t-shirt behind the 2000s is a single stitch on the sleeve. And that's something that's very common in thrifting as well. And there's thousands of these little details that you can look for in clothes that'll help you kind of stand uh, or look, sorry, that'll help you locate like vintage clothes. And I think that's super, super interesting. Like you can find different tags on clothes that represent different eras of clothes. There's different zippers on clothes. Like for instance, most pants before the late seventies use a Talon zipper. So that's a brand of zippers rather than a YKK zipper which is still what's used today, right? And that's came around the 80s with the kind of just switch to that brand. And so that's the most commonly used zipper and it still is today. But I think that those are just like some of the things that makes me want to thrift. I think it's the easiest and most standardized way to a building. But I'd love to hear what you think as well, Josh. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said. I tend to look at it from a more meta level perspective. So your question was why thrift? Mm-hmm. And relative to new, or I like to call it linear fashion, which is a huge problem. So we think about fast fashion, right? Every year, 100 billion new clothing garments are produced, and 50% of these end up in landfill in the same year in which they're produced. Oh, wow. Um, And this, you know, is perpetuated by your Sheehan's and your Forever 21's. Um, uh, And, you know, daily, it's about, you know, Every second, a garbage truck full of clothing is dumped into landfill. Huge problem, right? Um, So for me, thrifting is kind of um, one aspect of how to fight against this fast fashion regime that that is pervasive. So um, everything that I'm wearing is secondhand, and I've thrifted most of it. But um, I think thrift is also quite broken. Um, again, from this meta-level perspective, like Goodwill, for example, about 90% of Goodwill's inventory goes unsold on average because it's powered by a donation-based right. model. So they're aggregating a lot of junk clothing or 
not necessarily junk, but clothing that they cannot process with their their model. So a lot of it ends up getting shipped to foreign countries. Who don't um, need them. Who don't need them, but oftentimes these countries are the ones that produce it, and then these clothes end up coming back to dilute their markets and fill their landfills. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, thrift is just... Uh, I think thrift is is kind of a tailwind. The word thrift is sort of a tailwind for circular fashion. Um, thrift and secondhand are sort of synonymous, but the way I think about it, like circularity is the full circle of all the different ways to make use of your garments, figure out where to give them when you're done using them, right. and how to find things that... Um, are beautiful and you know you were talking about um, all these different eras of fashion and how thrift and secondhand is this beautiful aggregation of all the the different you know eras and this historical kind of opportunity to find clothes from different eras so a lot of the things that we're seeing today are from the past people are wearing you know Sherrod and I right now what era would you say this these outfits are from maybe mostly 80s 70s yeah yeah 70s 80s right so definitely I I think, you know, if you look at fast fashion, a lot of these companies are producing vintage-esque new right. things, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. crazy. It's very funny to see. You, you see all these cardigans, or even sometimes you see these bowling shirts, which are, you know, in the fashion world, they are now ridiculously expensive. To find a bowling shirt from the, the 60s, 50s, 70s, you're paying upwards of $100. So for someone who is on Instagram and sees that shirt on maybe some archive page or something like that. And then they see a replica of it, what, what you're, exactly what you're talking about, on, on some sort of fast fashion page, fast fashion Instagram. They're going to want to buy into it for, you know, like $15, $16 rather than the $100 price point that the actual one costs. And so that that's where these these th- this interaction with trends and, and fast fashion happens is, it's, it's this appreciation for older clothes a lot of times or uh, an appreciation for luxury clothes that gets translated into a trend. Um, and, and that really kind of lines up with fast fashion. Right. And I think people often associate thrift with cheap or right. low quality. Mm-hmm. But um, the value of a garment is not necessarily what it's priced at, but how it makes the individual feel. Mm-hmm. So how a garment is priced is... Um, mostly like the brand value, the person that's selling it presently. Um, and it's not as important for like the, you were saying earlier, like, you know, I'm sort of brand agnostic, right? I don't care about the brand Mm -hmm. of the garment that I'm wearing, but more about when I see it, this one-to-one interaction that I have with this garment, how is it making me feel? And how is this an expression of how I want to present myself? Um, so I think thrift and secondhand being cheap or lower quality is a misconception, if you think about a retail thing, something brand new, what gives us its value is the brand from which it's associated with. So something that's Gucci is far more expensive than some other mid-tier brand that like there might Louis. not be. Right. <laughs> where Just joking, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there, there might not be a huge distinction in the quality or construction of the garment, but the brand value mm. kind of raises its price. So from the secondhand perspective the the present owner of the garment is sort of acting like a curator i see 
So this is where things might become more expensive because that brand feels as though their curation is of higher value. Mm -hmm. And if you shop from X brand curating vintage 60s stuff, you know, it's going to be more expensive and you're going to vibe with what it is that they're buying if that's your aesthetic. So you might be willing to pay more. So thrifting for me is about finding this happy medium of something that's affordable, but also like with the aesthetic. But oftentimes my aesthetic is not something that I consider before going to shop. It's often in the moment I see something and it sparks joy. As more people discover thrift stores and discover that you're able to obtain clothes that, as you said, make make you feel good and are of value to you, the prices of these clothes will inevitably go up, and they have. I think we can probably all agree that Thrift stores on average are more expensive now than they were five years ago, for instance, at least the average thrift store. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this, I think thrift stores have almost moved away from the people that they initially served, which is people that actually came there for cheaper clothes. And so maybe I wanted to hear what you sort of think of this transition that thrifting has taken, Josh, and, and maybe your perspective on it in terms of the reality of the industry. I know you've talked about the environment already, but also the reality of what who thrift stores now serve after, you know, everyone has found them. Yeah. I think from a macroeconomic standpoint, the demand for secondhand is very high. You can see this in the ThreadUp, which is ThreadUp is the largest resale company in the entire world. They publish a industry resale report every year where they survey thousands and thousands of people from all different generations about Mm. their secondhand consumption habits and use this this surveying to create like an overview of the entire resale industry. And it's very, very clear from this, the latest report that everyone wants secondhand. Like everyone is kind of pushing the industry to go in this direction. But the problem is that the demand is very high. And so is the supply, but there's no way to meet the two together. So as I said before, garments are everywhere, flooding our economy. But the means to connect these garments with in their second life with people is underdeveloped. Like technological innovation is needed from right. business models, innovative business models that are that are able to match you know, the individual's preferences for size, fit, color, whatever, to these secondhand things like that, there's a huge gap here. And if you think about why linear fashion is so prolific, it's because they can feed you exactly what it is that you want. Mm. So Xi'an produces something crazy like 10,000 new styles every day, every week. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're able to predict the trends and feed consumers what it is that they want and offer to them in the most quick and cheap cheap way for exactly how the consumer would want. But secondhand is not able to do this. And this is where um, I see a lot of opportunity for innovation and, and kind of where thrift and secondhand and circular fashion can expand is how do we give people exactly what they're looking for with secondhand? I love that point. I think t- talking about Sheen or talking about someone like H&M who has 
departments of people that are keeping track of the trends and keeping track of everything that they can produce and producing those designs on demand and on a daily basis and shipping in small quantities to stay iterative and all those things. It's definitely interesting to compare and contrast that to something like secondhand where there's only maybe, you know, one of, of one of a kind of a certain thing, or there's only, you know, three maybe in a batch that you find at a thrift store, but there's very few quantity where it's easy to ship a larger quantity to a store, to an area and know that a lot of people are going to buy them based on the trends. So it sounds like you have some type of, you sounds like you've definitely thought through this problem a little bit. What is, what do you think are some potential solutions to that? Well, you said before that there's teams of people that are trying to predict these trends, but really it's artificial intelligence. Mm. A lot of time and effort and capital is being put into technology that's able to grab the data from the entire fashion industry and, and predict the future with it. Matching this kind of time and, and capital input for the secondhand industry and using artificial intelligence to not only figure out what it is that people want, but better match them with these things that already exist that don't need to be produced new. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think I think the problem, yeah, that that is, I think, how it, it would be solved. I think the only problem that I see with this whole thing is that you can never really predict what you're going to find. And I think that's the, the reality of just thrifting in general is the secondhand market is so, you, you never know where something is at a certain time because, for instance, like the cardigans we're wearing, this could have been in some grandpa's, basement or attic or something like that until it ended up being donated to a thrift store. And I think the variability in sourcing for these things is what creates these high prices. And just to go back to a little bit about what we were talking about before is thrift stores are realizing that they're carrying these high-priced items, high-priced being on these sort of secondhand resale apps, maybe like Depop or Grailed. You know, a cardigan that's $3 at a thrift store, is, they're identifying that it's getting sold for $100 on Grailed. And so I think what, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we need to up our prices in general because people are actually making money off of us. And I think this transitions into a little bit about something that we wanted to briefly mention was the business model of Salt and Light. Have you, have you, heard of, have you been to Salt and Light before? Of course. Right. And I wanted to touch on it a little bit because I think it's very interesting overall. And so the way that it actually works is it is a thrift shop, but it's mainly a grocery store. And how it actually works is it's also donation-based, just like Goodwill and other thrift stores. But the clothing that they sell, the money that they make off of the clothing is reinvested into the grocery part of their store. And the way that they're able to kind of work this business model is they have a volunteering system. And so anyone is allowed to volunteer at their store and collect points for themselves, or they can, you know, get just a job. But the main system is volunteering. And so they're allowed to volunteer, and this would good like put points into their account. And from there, they can go and buy groceries with those points. And so I'm curious to hear maybe your thoughts on this, and if you've seen this anywhere else. Yeah, I really like Salt and Light's business model, and I think from the circular economy standpoint, it's been a very successful exploration into how you can kind of combine different aspects of human life to exist together in a in a business model. So like, mm -hmm. you know, everyone wears clothes, but everyone also needs food and water. So they mm -hmm. combine the two in their model. And I think uh, a scalable circular economy system will do the same thing in that 
the currency that's transacted in the system or the value that people are exchanging can be for things beyond fashion or mm-hmm. services and housing and these other goods. Um, but I think where Salt and Light is still going wrong is their donation model. And it's maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. wrong for them, but um, in order to kind of make this world of secondhand bigger, broader, um, people need to have better means to sell their things. So right. Depop Grilled and these other sites are are great, but are missing out on a huge part of the market because um, it's very challenging to sell your things. Like it's very competitive on there. Mm-hmm. And to for the average person to sift through the wardrobe, which is only being utilized, um, like 20% of your wardrobe is being utilized on a regular basis. The rest like sits yeah, idly. Yeah. Yeah. Just sits idly in your wardrobe. This is untapped value. But what do you do with it? You either donate it, which it just piles up in a corporate landfill like Goodwill, or you try and sell it, which is very challenging. And these these apps like Depop, Grilled, and whatnot will take a 100%. huge cut of your of your sale. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big question that I'm wrestling with is, how do we give anybody, any person that wants to sell their things, the easiest means to do so, so they don't have to donate it and can get the untapped value from their closet. Just to kind of summarize a little bit, so we talked about Salt and Light, which is a somewhat of a local business model. So they, they offer groceries and other services to a local community. The idea then contrasting that with Grailed or Depop is completely delocalized. It's something that you can ship across the nation or even across the world to foreign countries. You can ship fashion that you find in your local thrift store and send it out in a decentralized manner. It sounds like then... One is very easy to donate to your local thrift store. It's kind of little effort. You just come, you donate a bag of clothes. The other is high effort. You have to market your clothes, take pictures of them, set the proper prices, do a little bit of research. Where does the balance then fall where it's maybe easier to sell, but is still you're still getting an attractive price or in an attractive market uh, for those? And this is either Tusharad or Josh. This is a very tricky problem. It's challenging to find the balance between a, a local and decentralized global model, um, but there is it's possible to do so, right? So if if you think about maybe like, let's compare and contrast Instagram and Snapchat. On Snapchat, you have your Snap Map. You can see your friends locally and sometimes what they're doing. And on Instagram, you have an Explore page that can show you what's happening locally, but also globally. Right. Um, what if we applied this kind of social media experience to buying and selling, which is something we call social commerce. So you know on Instagram, an influencer, let's say an influencer is influencing for Shein and is takes a fit pick and tags the shoppable instance of the garment that they're wearing. Right. And you can click onto it and potentially buy the right. item. So that's social commerce. So using social media to facilitate buying, selling, trading. Right. And okay. what if we could apply this to secondhand? Circular mm-hmm. a circular model where um, people can do this, but buy, sell, trade locally, right? So there's a map. You can see the other people with shoppable closets near you, other businesses that are part of a, a localized model, but also explore garments that have been posted to people's wardrobes from around the world. That's, I think, very interesting. I think that would be an ideal form of social media for me. I'm always... I'm always interested when I see some sort of influencer and they have some vintage item on and I'm, okay, like where did you get that? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it would be an interesting concept to 
have some form of social media where you could just buy that. You see it. You see them wearing it. And I think that's where Depop really, really fails is it's laid out like a social media app, but it's just a commerce app for secondhand clothing. And the I use Depop. So, and, and the, the promotion aspect of it. So they, they Depop as a company, I don't really think facilitates their sellers. That's why it's super difficult to sell on the app, I, I think, is they don't even really promote anything that you sell, and it's very manual, and you have to just kind of wait for someone to stumble into your clothes. But the idea that you could have a social media app or some sort of social media that would allow you to sell your own clothes secondhand, I think would be would be very interesting. Yeah. I'm uh, currently working with the director of the Department of Advertising, Mike Yao, and he's really into the whole alternative social media space mm. and how social media, and this is kind of venturing away from fashion, but social media is very extractive, very addictive, and designed to keep you online and predict your future, what you're going to buy next. So this is underpinned by artificial intelligence that can right. show you in a millisecond with your next swipe what it thinks you'll want. Mm-hmm. So what if we could apply this technology to somebody yeah. selling something secondhand and you know your your garment size is medium shirts and you're looking for a medium cardigan of this color and then boom artificial intelligence feeds it to you it's secondhand ships to you in two days right right and the ethical questions are kind of like being addicted to shopping or being addicted to social media are kind of negated in that manner because you're be feeding back into the circular ecosystem you're not buying clothes that are produced and being sent to landfills you're kind of actually helping by taking those land, like helping take homeless clothes off the market if you will yep yeah i i think that definitely makes sense to me what i'm basically understanding is all of the bad things in fashion utilize ai to succeed your question really that you're posing is why aren't why aren't the secondhand markets using ai as well to better kind of facilitate their processes um, but yeah i just want to touch on kind of what you said and maybe think of something that kind of answered my own question as well was the actual value of the clothes when you buy them secondhand a lot of the time secondhand clothes don't necessarily fall into trends which kind of leaves them as an outlier in terms of losing value very quickly if you go and buy something from sheen that is that is trending right now most of the time after you've worn it and the trend is over it has absolutely no value and that's why it gets donated right and so if you're buying something like a 60s cardigan it's from the 60s there's only a limited supply of them they will most likely never lose their entire value they'll retain a lot of their value and this kind of feeds into the circular economy idea of fashion it will always hold its value and see and so it's it's more of an investment than even kind of a purchase because a purchase i think is saying that hey like it's in your it's in your closet and then it's out out meaning donated or given away or something like that rather than it can be in your closet but if you find that you don't find yourself wearing it a lot it can be circulated out and you'd be able to give it to someone that does wear it a lot that makes sense yeah absolutely i really like that point about it having intrinsic value it seems like in an economy there's a lot of things that we have that don't don't have intrinsic value like even a dollar for example isn't really backed up by anything it's backed up by the u.s government which gives it value but in an intrinsic valued economy in a circular economy where things like to take it a little bit, a meta level like gold or something in this case, like a vintage clothing that has a limited number 
uh, similar to like Bitcoin where there's a limited number or things along those lines. It seems like it's a much more sustainable foundation for an economy to have clothes that are not only valued based on the current perceptions, but also based on the limited quantity. And with that, I think I am curious, uh, Josh, you mentioned the other day about the fashion expo that you're holding on uh, during this weekend. Uh, and I'm curious to hear about the economy that you guys are planning on having during that. You mentioned tokens, token, tokenomics, uh, things along those lines. Pretty sure I didn't pronounce that correctly, but uh, curious what that's going to look like in kind of all things thought process that you guys are having on that. Yeah. So the Circular Fashion Expo is... <laughs> something that I created to bring together all of the stakeholders in the fashion community into one place and try and create this culture of circularity and innovation in fashion at the university. Part of this is, one, trying to give students the means necessary to give their garments a new life and keep them out of landfill. Um, but this event has kind of evolved from what was before, just a fun little experiment that I thought I could turn into a movement, which has been successful. and. Right. <laughs> you know, has turned into like an, a scientific exploration jointly with faculty to figure out, okay, cool, how can we mobilize this community to create technology and business models that, you know, can help us expand what we've done here to other universities and beyond the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, we're quite far from that, but we're starting with a hypothesis that's being tested this weekend about... Um, our tokenomics model. So this is step one, is let's put tokens in people's digital wallets to act as sort of de facto store credit for the time being to power our clothing swap. So how it works at the event is people can take their unwanted clothes, donate them to our clothing swap, receive tokens in exchange, and then spend their tokens within the swap to buy other things. After the expo, everyone will still have their wallets, they'll still have their tokens, in our, in our app, which you can download on the App Store now. <laughs> and, you know, we're trying to create sort of this localized marketplace that I was talking about before where the Expo or the Fashion Network organization that's running the Expo will have a digital clothing store running after the Expo so people can still use their tokens mm. to buy and sell things um, and eventually trade things between each other with their tokens and, you know, monetize their own closets. So the tokenomics model is quite simple to start. But um, again, like I talked about before, we're trying to combine this with social commerce. So the app right now is very simple. It's just a feed, what's been posted at the expo, and your profile, which simply has your token wallet, how many tokens you have. Um, but in the future, you know, this will include a map, a local map, a feed that's powered by AI that can show you things using filters and, you know, your own profile to upload your closet and buy and sell things with friends and other people people nearby. So, um, again, testing this at the event. Um, if you guys are familiar with Jacob Kinsey, the director of business consulting, he's mm -hmm. on our yes. team. Um, he's pretty much built the entire app. Um, so, really interesting and, and really happy to be working with some... Um, brilliant faculty to kind of test these hypotheses and figure out the most effective way to create a scalable circular business model. It's kind of our, our goal. Right. And yeah, that sounds super interesting to me. I'll definitely be there. I also wanted to maybe hear about the rest of the expo as well. So 
I know you have a clothing swap, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the vendors that you're hosting and how you vetted them for your event and maybe how you screen them um, to make sure, you know, like they fit whatever parameters that you put up. Yeah, so one of these vendors is Shroud, <laughs> um, selling some some secondhand things. So most of our vendors, which we have over 60, are clothing resellers. So kind of my vetting process is slightly informal. And thankfully this year I haven't had to do a lot of like, hey, I'm sorry, you can't vend at the expo because you're not being sustainable. Um, people are already being sustainable. So most of these vendors are, for example, like, artists using reclaimed junk that they've refashioned into art or clothing resellers or upcyclers that have reconstructed garments into higher value things um, and really anything under the sun. Um, but it's all been vetted to, you know, fit within our, our kind of circular mission. Um, so we have over 60 vendors as well as over 100 runway models who are wearing Everything either secondhand or um, part of the part of the event is a fashion design competition, where the best and brightest fashion designers and upcyclers at the university have created looks using um, what would otherwise be waste. So um, that's super cool, and that has gotten a lot of support from the art and design faculty, um, who have um, generously offered to. To judge, and you know, this has received institutional support, so we're able to offer three thousand dollars in prizes for these wow. models that are, um, or the the designers that are competing in the in the runway. In addition to this, um, there's an upcycling workshop hosted by Enactus Phoenix that's teaching students the basics of garment repair, mending, mm. sewing, stitching. So you know, the basic damages that would have most frequently occurred to a garment, you can learn how to you know fix those. Um, among other things. With that, I think we're running a little bit short on time, Josh. I know you got to get out of here in a second. So I think we should wrap things up here. We've talked about a lot of different things today. The overall theme has been circularity. I think we've talked about the circular nature of clothes, how not only they circle in time where things become more and less popular over time, but also how we can continue to circle clothes throughout the economy and do so in a more sustainable manner. We've done so while sitting in a triangle, three people, um, and it's been a really fun conversation. Thank you, Josh, for coming in. Sherrod or Josh, do you guys have any closing remarks here? Thank you for having me. Come to the Fashion Expo on Saturday. I'll see you guys there, and if anybody wants to talk about, you know, how to circularize the fashion economy, I'm easy to reach. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Surface Tension. We really appreciate you listening all the way through. Check out our social media for updates on new episodes and make sure to follow on Spotify.